In this episode, we look a gift ass in the mouth, an elephant tries a golden laxative, and Emily laughs her ass off. <laughs> Aww. Welcome to Fax Machine. My name is Rob, and I'm sitting here in our recording formation with my co-host Noah. Hello. And Emily. Hi. And this week, we'll be exchanging facts that'll make you crack up. Hopefully, the theme doesn't bum you out, because this week, the theme is... Dadass. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Now, it's worth noting, uh, we will be discussing the donkeys of history, literature, and lore that have made our culture richer so yes listener we'll be finding the sublime in the asinine as we take turns (laughs) discussing our possibly posterior presentations and then i'll wrap things up with a pub style trivia quiz loosely inspired by the theme which again is asses yes (laughs) ass (laughs) just get it out of our systems yeah just (laughs) let them out now one quick note we're going to be taking a brief hiatus during the month of august that means we won't have new episodes until after labor day but we will be peppering our social media accounts with fun facts and summer exploits. So find us on Instagram and Twitter at Fax Machine Pod and on Facebook at Fax Machine Podcast. Also, listeners, we have a fun announcement on Tuesday, October 22nd. Fax Machine will be returning to Caveat on the Lower East Side of New York for our second live show. We will be there at 9 o'clock for you to walk in, get some drinks, and join us for an evening of spooky, scientific Halloween facts. Yes, we will bring you the science and stories of Halloween delivered to you, possibly in costume, possibly in prose or poetry. You don't know. Nobody knows. Definitely both. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, last live show was a real hit. We were really pleased to have everybody who came. So please tell your friends. Tickets will go live sometime in the fall and we will let you know on our social media accounts. And we're already plotting our fantabulous costumes. So um, we'll see you in October 22nd at Caveat. Woo! Yay. Also, please take a moment now to rate our podcast on iTunes. We'd love for you to share what you think and also share this podcast with other folks so they can enjoy it too. Uh, But as always, in the comment section, don't be an ass. Which reminds (laughs) me. (laughs) On to our first fact. Noah, you looks good. Better back those facts up. What do you got? (laughs) Thanks, Rob. Use a fine mother factor. <laughs> this week I learned that from the 11th until the 15th centuries, French Catholics celebrated the Feast of the Ass. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so oh the Feast of the Ass, also known by the Latin Festum Asinorum, or in Seinfeld's A Fest of Ass for the Rest of Ass. <laughs> um, it was a medieval Christian feast that was observed on the 14th of January, um, and it celebrated, uh, among other things, the flight into Egypt, which is the story in the Gospel of Matthew, in which Jesus, Mary, and Joseph fled Judea to Egypt on a donkey. And according to the story, they were forced to flee to Egypt in response to King Herod the Great of Judea, ordering the massacre of infant boys age two or under. The Massacre of the Innocents, as this event is known, is one of those things in the Bible that most scholars are pretty sure didn't happen, but nevertheless is the story that primarily sets up King Herod as a villain. 
In addition, his sons Herod Antipater and Herod Archelaus share both his name and his tinge of villainy, with the former guilty of his own massacres and the latter playing a role in the executions of both John the Baptist and Jesus himself. And this is the kind of thing that I think is really interesting, because the name Herod comes from the Greek name Heroides, which means song or ode to the hero. So the fact that Herod and two of his sons, also named Herod, are the bad guys in their respective stories is a really interesting sort of ironic, anti-nominative determinism, whereby the name that you're given specifies the one thing you won't be, in their cases, a hero. Anyway, where was I? All right. Oh. So, during Feast of the Ass, there is a procession through town led by a girl and a child riding on a donkey, hence ass. Um, And at the end of the procession, everyone would file into the church and there would be a special mass, an ass mass, if you will, (laughs) in which... A sort of play would be put on, um, and it basically was just a bunch of people featuring, uh, basically dressed up in the likenesses of as many as 28 different prophets, who all, you know, sort of talked about the different donkey-related stories in the Bible, and how the donkey has had such an important role in the events in the Bible, and how it's such a great animal, etc., And at a certain point, one of the prophets would ride down the aisle on, quote, a gorgeously caparisoned ass. (laughs) (laughs) Alternatively, you were permitted to substitute the actual animal for a wooden ass, also known as a hobby ass. Also known as a hard ass. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, okay, so substituting for the wooden ass required that someone had to get under and operate the ass. So it's a Trojan ass. Yes, it's a Trojan (laughs) ass. (laughs) But basically, that required required somebody to get you know under the animal right and by operate i mean the whole wooden animal not just the rear end obviously and turns out this was not a highly sought after job because the (laughs) actor playing the prophet that was riding the ass had to uh, quote goad the ass with his spurs (laughs) so basically like kicking the actor underneath with like his (laughs) boots with like spurs on them Um, but this is actually a really important part of the story because the next thing that happened was an angel showed up and then like angrily confronts the writer about his cruelty to the poor ass after this a hymn is sung called the song of the ass (laughs) that goes as follows from the eastern lands the ass is come beautiful and very brave well fitted to bear burdens up sir ass and sing Open your pretty mouth. (laughs) Hay will be yours in plenty, and oats in abundance. (laughs) What a beautiful thing. I know. And this is such a (laughs) funny, such amazing, weird Catholic history tradition. And then at the end of the Mass, you know, held in honor of the Feast of the Ass, the priest, having turned to the people, in lieu of saying, you know, the dismissal words or something like, go with God and do a good farm Go or whatever to love and serve the it, lord exactly <laughs> thanks be to ass <laughs> hallelujah hallelujah <laughs> um instead he would go in in this particular mass you know in honor of donkeys he would go hee-haw 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 <laughs> no. and the entire congregation would reply in kind <laughs> that is the story of the feast of the ass <laughs> wow amazing i see it as like I remember we always had like the Christmas story that like our church did, but it was like the little mouse that couldn't fall asleep on Christmas Eve. And like, we all had to like dress up as mice and do like this mouse play. And I was like, what the (laughs) hell is this? (laughs) But it was just like, someone had like a really over, like overworking imagination. And the church was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) We'll indulge this. It's fine. (laughs) Well, the church is known for its indulgences. I was about to say, yeah, there you go. (laughs) It's kind of their thing. (laughs) Um, So I just wanted to read you guys, uh, 
a little bit more from uh, the song of the ass because there are actually quite a few <laughs> other verses. So okay. two other, two of the many other verses are with his flapping ears and long lo the harnessed son of song. He is chosen. Hear his call ass of asses, Lord of all. <laughs> <laughs> and then my, my favorite verse after the first one, slow, he went on lagging feet till the rod began to beat and the pointed goad to prick thigh and sides and make him kick hey sir ass oh hey (laughs) (laughs) that's ridiculous oh hey (laughs) this week I learned that the Greek philosopher Chrysippus was done in by a hilarious ass (laughs) (laughs) hilarious hilarious exactly so let's talk about him for a little bit uh his full name was crispus of soli and he was a mover and shaker in the stoic school of philosophy and actually for a time was the head of it and as a stoic he believed the happiness uh in one's life or eudaimonia as they called it was only possible to achieve if you rejected emotion avoided any actions motivated by pleasure or fear or pain um and sought understanding of the world through a strictly rational logical lens while also acting and according to your prescribed role uh, within the world and living in the present moment. So very kind of measured, not prone to extreme emotions sort of way of thinking. Um, And he actually contributed some 300 volumes on the topic, uh, covering logic, ethics, and physics, all of which have been sadly lost to time, though we do know a bit about them through their quotation by subsequent philosophers. Um, But even more unfortunately for him, outside of circles of classics and philosophy scholars, he's most remembered for his death because he died of laughter, which, in fairness, does lend some support to stoicism. I mean, he indulged in a strong (laughs) emotion, and it killed him. So his death um, is described by the ancient biographer Diogenes Lertius um, through two different accounts. Um, and it, but it is known in both that it occurred around 200 BC at the ripe old age of 73. So in the first account, it's just that he drank some undiluted wine, which apparently the ancient Greeks used to dilute their wine with water um, actually quite a bit. So there are a few accounts that they would dilute it three or four parts water to one part wine. But actually in the Odyssey, there's mention of a dilution of 20 to 1. So... Undiluted wine, I guess, is a much higher proof than what they would be used to. Um, But that first account involved just alcohol poisoning from drinking this undiluted wine. The second account also involves wine, um, as well as a wayward donkey that uh, he saw in his drunken state uh, eating some figs, which then prompted him to suggest the donkey get in on the party and wash down those figs (laughs) with undiluted wine, an idea that he found so funny that he laughed at it until he died. (laughs) So, yeah, hilarious. Um, (laughs) And it turns out that he's actually one of a handful of folks throughout history to suffer this fate. Though I have to say it's not really suffering in my mind because, I don't know, I feel like it's a decent way to go, all things considered. I I just feel like there's that conflation between laughter and having fun. Which everyone who's ever been tickled will tell you is not true. (laughs) Fair. This is so terrible. (laughs) Like... Well, two things come to mind there. Have that. you have you seen that video? Uh, is like the researcher who tickles rats, and they make <gasps> this like high pitched oh, squeaking yes. sound, and they're like squeak, 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 and everyone's like because basically he calls it rats laughing, mm-hmm. and it's this sound they make allegedly when they're like very pleased, um, and it basically he flips them over onto their back and then like tickles their stomach, and then he will like 
the reason he knows that it's not aversive, the reason he knows that they they actually do like it, is that he will do that, and then he'll put him in the other corner of the cage and just leave his hand there. They'll run to his hand, flip over, and like move their bodies so that they do it again, oh. um, so that yeah, like his hand is tickling them again. But another thing about uh, laughter, people dying from laughter, and whether or not it was a pleasant experience. There was this guy in the UK who was watching this uh, show in the UK uh, called The Goodies, and basically he he found something so funny in it that I, I think the account of it i read said he laughed for 25 minutes and then died of like cardiac arrest oh my god and yeah. his wife basically thanked them so that his last moments in life were spent in like such joy okay yeah that's uh, kind of sweet right nice take yeah um but there are actually quite a few instances of people well honestly okay so the wikipedia list i should say of deaths by laughter has 10 entries so it's a relatively small but motley crew. Um, <laughs> and to cite a few of my favorites that I saw there. Um, so actually a century prior to Chrysippus's death, the Greek painter Zeuxis is said to have died laughing at the sight of one of his own paintings because it depicted Aphrodite not as her kind of stereotypically young, voluptuous likeness, but rather after the elderly patron who mm. commissioned the piece. Um, there's also a 16th century Italian author named Pietro Argentino's death, um, and it was recorded as suffocation from laughter, and the joke appears to have been lost to time, but it's possible from what I could tell that he was laughing at his own antics because he <laughs> was quite a character, and I went down a bit of a rabbit hole with him, so buckle in. <laughs> so I mentioned that he was an author, but he wrote uh, poems, plays, essays, all variety of things. And as a poet, he was known for his erotic, profane writings and subjects. Like, he had a whole series um, of works that were set in a brothel. Uh, he had a play about a man who was delighted to discover that his new bride was actually a page boy. Um, he was also, <laughs> like, very, like, loud and proud proud like proudly homosexual which in the 1500s is i imagine was not common um and he was also known for blackmailing anyone who turned to him for assistance and getting into the cd brothel stuff that he was into um but he also wrote a lot of satirical pieces going after anybody in power including the vatican nobles politicians um and actually did so with such ruthlessness that he was dubbed the scourge of princes (laughs) and one such piece that he wrote um as a satire was actually a mock last will and testament um for Pope Leo X's pet elephant, Hanno, which he had oh, one like of those. Hanno, Hanno Ball? Uh, H-A-N-N-O, but maybe there's some influence there. Could be an elephant reference? Could be. But also, <laughs> tangent on Hanno, because also, again, there was, a whole, there was a hole here. It had various routes and twists and turns. So Hanno was gifted to Leo. Oh, what? <laughs> you know, like a hole. <laughs> like a tunnel. We'll call it a tunnel. Okay. <laughs> a Wikipedia tunnel. <laughs> it was gifted to Pope Leo upon his coronation by King Manuel I of Portugal, who himself received the elephant as a gift from the King of Kochi, um, which is like a city on the southwest coast of India, or he had one of his viceroys purchase it there. It's unclear. Um, but one element of this that I thought was really funny in that he regifted the elephant, and it was a white elephant, so that's appropriate. <laughs> oh, wow. But also, poor Hanno, he died, and had you know his will and testament written by pietro um he died not from laughter but from being poisoned by a golden laxative which wow is a just very strange but also laxative. if only <laughs> those bilious pills that would have made <laughs> that would have made willy wonka a very different movie because <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. i've got a golden laxative <laughs> a golden laxative <laughs> i mean what 
Well, considering that that was sung by one of four bedridden elderly people, probably would have been more useful to it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got a golden laxative. It's a shit. Was it? <laughs> Wasn't there a river of chocolate? Oh, no. No, no, no. We, okay. Reel it in. It does remind oh, no. me of something. Um, oh, a, in Charlie and Chocolate Factory, in Roald Dahl's like, original manuscript writing it, um, the character of Mike TV. You guys remember oh, yeah. him? Oh yeah, yeah. He, um, the American the, kid, right? His original name in the, his like original drafts was going to be Herpes Trout. Hundred <laughs> percent true. Hundred percent true. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I, I did some children. reading. I did some reading. It wasn't clear, but Mike TV was originally going to be named Herpes Trout, and I imagine because it's not the draft that was like published. I imagine it's one he sent to the editor, and the editor was like, "Rolled." <laughs> I love what you're putting out here. One edit. <laughs> so, but just as a final note on uh, Pietro and his sense of deadly humor, um, his inscription on his tombstone reads in Italian, but translated here. Here are a teen, the Tuscan poet lies, who all the world abused, but God. And why? He said he knew him not. <laughs> I don't know. I just... I thought it was funny. Um, but yes, and then there was a modern instance that you mentioned um, of Alex Mitchell was the uh, English guy okay. who watched the TV show, laughed at it, and passed away. But an interesting follow-up that I found to that was that in 2012, uh, the press reported that his granddaughter had actually been diagnosed with long QT syndrome, right. which is a heritable like heart arrhythmia that oh. if her grandfather had had it too, then it might offer an explanation as to how laughing at his favorite show um, induced cardiac arrest. Which brings me to my next point, that despite that adage about laughter being the best medicine, too much of it, like any good thing, can be very bad for you. Um, so more common than death by laughter is laughter-induced syncope, or as it's known, Seinfeld syncope. Oh. Yep. Named after a case report of a patient who experienced it while watching an episode of the show. Um, and it's a type of situational syncope or fainting, basically. Um, it can also be triggered from things like coughing too much, um, in which case it's called tussive syncope. Um, and this is partly from insufficient gas exchange, but there are also a few studies that suggest that there's like a neural reflex that can be triggered from increased intrathoracic pressure. So pressure in your chest as you're just laughing very intensely and prolonged. Leak. Oh, wow. Um, but generally speaking, like an exceptionally violent bout of laughter is only dangerous if you have an underlying medical condition that can be triggered or exacerbated by intense physical activity. So things like arrhythmias, like I mentioned, or heart problems, um, it could trigger an asthma attack, uh, make a hernia worse, which is kind of unfortunate. Or if you have an aneurysm, which apparently 1% to 6% of the population does without knowing, huh, uh, <laughs> it could rupture it. So things, things like that. Um, but in looking into the sort of medical veracity of of these uh, claims of death by laughter, I stumbled upon uh, a paper that offered a pretty comprehensive look at recorded instances of um, pathologies arising from laughter in the journal, the British Medical Journal. Um, and the article itself was called Laughter and Mirth. And Mirth is actually an acronym for Methodical huh. Investigation of Risability, Therapeutic, and Harmful. <laughs> oh, and I will say this article was published in their uh, Food for Thought section of the 2013 Christmas issue. So meant to be kind of uh, lighter in topic and in tone. But still, this is a very well-respected journal. And the authors are both very well-established doctors. So... 
So the premise of this article is that they did a very comprehensive literature review of two major journal databases from 1946 to 2013 for reports of the benefits or harms of laughter in humans, and then tally the number of reports that kind of fall under benefits versus detriments. Um, so the authors explain that they searched for laugh uh, to kind of get their source material while excluding confounding phrases such as authors with laugh in their name and references to the sea sponge, Prosperities <laughs> Laughlini. They also discarded irrelevant articles that mentioned laughter, but not in relation to medicine, like one, which they gave an example of, called Another Exciting Use for the Cantaloupe, which enumerated a new application for cantaloupes in practicing endoscopy. Oh. I did not look that up, because oh. I don't read things I don't want to know about. No, that's not true. Um, You're a scientist. I am a scientist, I know. I, that's why I retracted that very quickly. Um, but in their findings, uh, so... In their search, they found 85 papers describing benefits from laughter, 114 describing harms, and then 586 describing conditions that cause pathological laughter as a side effect. Um, but they do go over some more precise, less conclusive findings uh, in the actual article itself, and they offer some pretty great commentary. So to give just a few highlights, um, one of the studies they allude to demonstrates, to quote the article, laughter induced by a clown improved lung function in patients with COPD. One of the study's authors was a clown, something only alleged of other studies. <laughs> that seems like a huge conflict of interest. <laughs> Clowns are funny. I have no conflicts. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, they also cite another uh, case that tied laughter to pneumothorax, which is lung collapse. Um, so again, from the article, Pilgard Dahl syndrome, named after two Danish review actors, is pneumothorax in middle-aged smokers induced by laughter. If the YouTube video we have watched is representative, non-Danish speakers are not at risk. <laughs> Burn. So, Isn't that a saying, yeah. though? Like, I'm going to bust the lung. It no, is? you're thinking of bust a move. <laughs> <laughs> you're bust right. a gut. Bust a gut. Bust is a the gut. Okay. Yes. Which hernias. There you go. Could happen. Oh. Uh, <laughs> there's truth to it. Um, but while the Nollers do acknowledge a few weaknesses in their study, um, including, quote, that they limited their search to laugh, it did not explicitly seek cacinations, cackles, chortles, chuckles, giggles, grins, guffaws, smiles, smirks, sneers, sniggers, teehees, or... Titters. Wow. They conclude that just laugh- <laughs> That was very well done. I <laughs> thank you. Um, they do conclude at the end of their paper that uh, laughter in any form carries a low risk of harm and may be beneficial. So that's great. Makes sense. But that being said, I hope our listeners find this episode funny, but not too funny. <laughs> Stay safe I, out there. You know, somehow I don't think that's going to be a problem. <laughs> You, you mentioned that you mentioned that you mentioned what was it Seinfeld syncope yes well just based on the knowledge based yeah. on the knowledge of that possible illness due to laughter our podcast has been rated by nine out of ten doctors not funny enough to kill you <laughs> <laughs> we have your best interest at heart can we have that as a quote on our website if like nine out of ten doctors agree this is not funny enough to kill you <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. we could literally go around yeah. getting doctors to say that. <laughs> it's true we could we have that um uh you mentioned zeuxis the mm-hmm. i think he's fifth century greek painter he yeah. told a story about how um he uh painted this picture of aphrodite and the reason he found it so funny as you mentioned was because he painted it as an old lady in the sort of image of his patron and then when Mm -hmm. he finished the painting he laughed so hard that he burst a blood vessel in his brain 
Like the the legend is that it was an aneurysm. One of the one to six percent. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, but there's some other really funny stories about Zeuxis, and there's basically two versions where he paints some berries that a bird thinks are real, uh, and he like laughs really really hard at that because basically the whole the, basically it was I can't remember exactly one of them is so there's a story where he uh, paints. Of a child next to some like grapes and a bird flies down and tried to peck the grapes and he was mad when you might think you'd be like wow the my grapes were so realistic that the bird you know thought they were real he was actually mad that his child wasn't realistic enough to scare the bird off <laughs> and there's another story wow. actually about him painting realistic grapes and it's that he and i forget his name but another painter of that era got into like an argument about who's the better painter and Zeuxis painted, you know, like a bunch of grapes, and it was really, really beautiful. And a bird, as in the other story, comes down and tries to eat it, but it just like bonks off the canvas or whatever. And he's like, "Look, my grapes are so realistic. The bird thought they were real." Um, and the other artist had put his painting behind a curtain, um, so the whole time Zeuxis was waiting for him to pull the curtain back. But the curtain was the painting. Whoa! Yeah. Oh, nice. That's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> that's that's sick. <laughs> the thing I find so interesting about the Zeuxis thing is like painting is a slow medium. Like, <laughs> like did he not notice how funny it looked until he was finished? I think he just kind of stood back and like took it all in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have one interesting story about um, pathological laughter. Ooh, um, okay. And this one was brought, so I teach a class on epidemics and I, I have a pretty open requirement for the final project. And so one student brought this uh, case to me, and I was so interested, I let him present on it. And it was on the laughing epidemic, um, the, what was called the, the Tanganyikan laughing epidemic of 1962. Have either of you guys heard of this one? No. no. So it's, it's, it's cool to talk about because it seems like no one was seriously injured. No one died, although a few people were hospitalized. Um, it started in a private school in January 1962, uh, a mission-run boarding school for girls in Kashasha, uh, which is uh, in what was formerly Tanganyika, current Tanzania. Um, and so basically it started with three girls um, who just started laughing in class at something that no one really remembers what they started laughing at. And the teacher kind of disciplined them and they, they quieted it down, but they were kept laughing. It wound up affecting 95 of 159 pupils, all age 12 to 18. <laughs> wow. And it didn't affect any of the adults. Um Depending on most of the accounts you read, it affected none of the adults. There are a few stories that like some adults got a little, um, you know, got a little chuckly. And so they left out of fear. Um, the epidemic then spread to a nearby village where <laughs> some of the girls were from, um, where again, like mostly young villagers and mostly girls had laughing attacks for a period of two months. Wow. Um, yeah. And so the school closed when this started and they were just like, nope, like don't, <laughs> don't know what's happening. Don't want to deal with it. Everyone go home. School reopened a month later when it seemed to die down. It happened again for two more months, and it closed at the end of June. Um, and so by the end of the epidemic, it had gone to three different villages and affected over 200 people. Wow. Um, so no one knows what happened. People were interviewed, like doctors came in, and they said, I couldn't control myself. I was laughing uncontrollably. Like, it hurt. I wanted to stop. I was just laughing, laughing, laughing. And they think it was some kind of group psychosis mm. where there was some yeah. kind of environmental trigger or some kind of sound or, or saying that just got one person laughing, that they all were contagiously laughing. Um, but nothing was ever detected. And this was 1962, so they may have missed something in blood tests that we might have found today. But like, again, none of them had long-term health effects. It was just like a three to four month period in which if you were a young girl anywhere in these like kind of like two major or two villages next to each other, 
there was a chance that you would just laugh uncontrollably for a period of hours until you just kind of fell asleep. Wow. Good grief. Yeah. That is not funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there it is, guys. (laughs) Not funny enough to kill you. This week I learned that the only ancient Roman novel written in Latin to have survived is Apuleius's Metamorphoses, but it is more widely known as the Golden Ass. <laughs> Ass. <laughs> Still funny. So this is actually a really cool story. It's a novel. To put it aside from things like the Aeneid, it is not written in poetry, um, but it's a work of prose. And there are other fragments from slightly earlier, but this is the oldest complete Latin novel. Wow. That we have. Uh, and Apuleius is, is kind of a well-regarded author in his time. So he lived in the northern African regions around Carthage. He moved around quite a bit, actually. And he has a very interesting life of his own. And he was uh, detailed by many who came after him. And it's apparent, like, from, from reading about him, that he actually had a much greater influence on the authors that followed him than, than you would think for probably having not heard of him before. So the story itself is of contested origin. Uh, Apulius says that he's emulating a series of contemporary tales that uh, others had written at the time. He also appears to have taken uh, the, the story itself and fleshed it out. It was kind of a known story, like almost a fairy tale. And he turned it into this reason for existence, religious, philosophical tale. Basically, though, it's one of those compilation stories. So a book with many stories within it, um, kind of like a Decameron or a Canterbury Tales. And as I went through, I actually found out that he was a, a primary inspiration for for books like the Decameron. So so far as two of the stories in the Decameron were actually pretty much lifted right from Apuleius. Wow. Hmm. Um, so in the book, each character kind of shares their own stories and tales as these wild things happen to them on journey. Um, the protagonist is a young man named Lucius. Um, he's staying in the house of a friend of a friend when he gets friendly with the handmaid. Um, and so... The so handmaid's tale. <laughs> In a way. <laughs> he was trying to get some Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Ass episode. <laughs> oh, wow. So um, so all this happens. Um, he winds up sneaking around with that handmaid into the, the master of the houses, the ladies' chambers. And she herself is a very powerful witch. And so they watch her turn into a bird. Um, and this is why the story is called the Metamorphosis originally is because it is one of the stories like you might know, um, in Ovid and Kafka, their metamorphoses are about these dramatic changes. Lucius plays with the magical, um, potions that the witch has and accidentally becomes a donkey. (laughs) And so you throwing in a little Shrek donkey. Oh, that was very, okay. Sense that inflection. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as Lucius becomes a donkey, a million bad things happen to him. Like the moment he gets turned into a donkey, robbers attack the house and steal him away from the handmaid that he is with. And then the robbers take him around and they do some terrible things and they like stick him in a cave with another hostage and then they get killed by other robbers and then those robbers are running along and they get freed and they get sold and like owned by these terrible people who do bad things to him. But then they get killed and he gets taken up by this other person who's really nice. And basically he goes through like nine different owners and captors throughout the story and basically everyone who he belongs to or is like like um, held captive by dies in some really obscure way. He says though... The reason that he became a donkey was out of his curiosity and that in his many travels, he learned many things because of, and this is the English translation, but I thought this was hilarious because of his long ass ears, <laughs> 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 which is just such That's a, perfect. 
Well, they're long ass ears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. For once. They're both. <laughs> so as things kind of draw to an end, um, there are four mini stories in a row about adultery and then righteous murder, um, which is kind of weird because there's nowhere in his life trajectory, like in Lucius's life, that this really matters. So it's this real kind of morality push at the end of the story. Um and it kind of exposes the fact that all of the stories are little morality tales that are trying to paint the picture of his religion. Um, so Apuleius was in the cult of Isis, which was a very popular kind of sect of paganism at the time. And the story ends with uh, Lucius running away and praying to Isis that he be turned human again. And Isis grants it so. And then in the last chapter of the, or the last book of the story, she, Isis, appears to him three times, telling him that he'll be a human, and then he'll be a priest, and then he'll be like a great like scholar of the Isis, uh, cult of Isis. It's very much like a religious um, cautionary tale. And it's interesting because there's a lot of things in it that are not particularly religious. Like, there's a lot of backstabbing and deceit that's kind of okay in, in how the story goes. In fact, in one point, um, when, when he becomes kind of a famous donkey, who's kind of, <laughs> everyone realizes that there's something weird about him. He becomes a sideshow spectacular and people pay money to see this weird donkey that seems to have so much experience. Um, so there's a woman who pays a considerable sum to be able to sleep with him. Um, oh. but in this version, he actually like, he was going to do it and then he got scared and he ran away. Uh, and that was when he prayed to ISIS to save him. Uh, which is like a really weird thing that yeah. like a wealthy woman would say like, ah, this is what I'll do with my money. I will like publicly pay to have sex with a donkey. Well, when you got more money than you know what to do with, <laughs> it's, it's just natural. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> that was my agreeing pleasantly while looking at something else. <laughs> and so the takeaways of this story are basically to pray to a very particular goddess question your own existence and be grateful for the fact that you're human and either to always be curious or to never be curious. It isn't really clear on that one because curiosity is what made him turn into a donkey and go through all of these terrible things for which he's actually very grateful. Hmm. Um, but so like I mentioned, this was a story that had been kind of told in many ways before. And this was the very kind of famous telling. And this is the, the religious overtones that made it this great serious story. But I found an earlier version, a more comedic version of the story um, and in this version, he actually sleeps with the woman. Oh. And I, I want to read you this quote because he sleeps with the woman. Then he goes and prays to Isis and gets turned into a human. <laughs> and then he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go find that lady that liked me. <laughs> and so he says, I thought I'd appear more handsome in my human form. Indeed, she welcomed me enraptured, it seemed, by my odd adventure. She even invited me to dine and pass the night with her. I accepted, considering that it would be unseemly. If after having been loved in my ass skin, I should disdain on becoming once more a man, <laughs> scorning my mistress. So I dined with her, soaked in scents and crowned with those beloved roses to which I had owed my return to the world of men. Oh yeah, rose petals was, was the secret ingredient to become human again. When the hour grew late and the time came for bed, I rose and thinking to do a pretty act, I threw off my clothes and I made myself quite naked, imagining that I would please the woman far more when she compared me with the ass. But she, seeing that I was really a man, threw a glance of scorn and cried out, Go and kick up your heels far away from me and my home. Go and make your bed where you will, but not here. <laughs> she didn't realize he wasn't a donkey until he was completely naked? It's a little unclear, but that seems to be true. <laughs> well, until she got okay. a good look at his ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
All right. And there's just the quote that she like scorns him with here. By the Lord on high, it wasn't you. It was the ass that I fell in love with. It was him, not with you, that I lay. I thought you'd have kept the magnificent, handsome, what's it, that distinguished my ass. (laughs) (laughs) And I can only imagine that the Latin translation of what's it was incredibly difficult. (laughs) Well, I will say, so when I first let your fact concerned a mythological golden ass... I thought the story would involve a moment where King Midas was just getting a little handsy. (laughs) Um, That was not the case, clearly. But in looking into his legends, I actually found there is a connection between him and donkeys that I was unaware of previously. So we remember him now as the king who got the ability to turn anything he touched into gold. Um, And this was after he helped uh, one of Dionysus' satyrs get over a really intense hangover and then returned to Dionysus. And he was like, oh, thanks, dude. I can grant you whatever wish you want. And he was like, I'm greedy for the sake of this parable. So yes, I want to turn everything into gold. And he regretted that pretty much immediately because he couldn't eat things. And you know, anything he touched was just useless to him. So he went, washed his hands in some river, and then he was fine. But there was a later instance that actually happened. So as a consequence of this whole like gold power curse, he rescinded all of his you know appreciation for wealth that he previously had um, and started living a very kind of spare life in the countryside as a follower of the god Pan, who was the god of nature and meadows and satyrs and nymphs and all sorts of earthy crunchy things goat legs <laughs> yeah it was basically like the greek equivalent of like eat pray loving like that was what my did. so uh pan though was also a musician hence pan pipes and one day he challenged the god apollo to a musical face-off so he was on his pipes and apollo was on his lyre and midas was in attendance um and after the performance thought that pan played the better tune uh which angered apollo and he said oh well he must have the ears of an ass and then promptly gave him donkey ears <laughs> sounds like so. the devil went down to georgia yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was looking for an ass to steal no <laughs> Um, so Midas was mortified by his new ears and for the rest of his life, uh, he concealed them under a turban. But my favorite part of this story was that the only other person who knew about his donkey ears was his barber. And he apparently struggled with the burden of this secret. So one day he sought to relieve himself of it by wandering out into a meadow and digging a hole and then whispering, Midas has ass ears into this hole (laughs) and then covering it up with dirt again. (laughs) And for some reason that I never quite gleaned, um, from this patch where he dug the hole, um, a bunch of reeds grew and that for eternity, whenever wind blew through them, all you could hear was, Midas has ass ears. (laughs) So that's how word spread. (laughs) It's a very strange story, but worth sharing. (laughs) There's a couple things to wrap on Apuleius. Um, so he was considered actually a sorcerer by by many in his time because he was the he was a priest of this uh, cult of Isis and he actually had, like was kind of a mystic and and a, kind of a medic I guess but so he cured people and he did tricks and he had this kind of mystical way about him um, and so some of the influences that he had he the, people think he influenced other North African writers like Saint Augustine and actually Saint Augustine's confessions seem to indicate that he had read Apuleius quite heavily. And that was the time where he was kind of like considering God and considering himself as a pagan. So he was a writer that influenced St. Augustine until Augustine really reached his most religious point and he wrote City of God and he tore Apuleius apart as the Antichrist, which was a pretty severe turnaround. Um, but again, like I mentioned earlier, his stories made their way into the Decameron. Um, there's a scene where right before he meets the, um, right before he meets the handmaid, he actually gets really drunk, walks into a closet and he thinks he stabs three robbers. And he is taking a trial the next day for the murder of three people. 
And then, like, the lady is like, bring forth the bodies. And he brings them out, and they're just three wineskins. And he just stabbed three wineskins while he was drunk, and everyone... And like, then he admitted to it. Like, he was like, I'm sorry I killed three people. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I guess we have a, have a trial. He was like, I was drunk, and I don't remember. And, like, it was kind of actually a hilarious little story. And I just remembered this from the beginning of the book, that it was the Feast of Laughter. And oh, so they did this as what? a prank on him, which is a super weird tie-in that wow. I missed entirely. Whoa. Um, Links but, all the facts. But if you if you're a fan of Cervantes, Don Quixote does that exact same thing. Like, Don Quixote. <laughs> oh my oh, god. Man. <laughs> <laughs> So this week's quiz is actually about asses in popular culture that you didn't know about. So we're not talking about donkeys. We're talking about badonka donkeys. (laughs) (laughs) So I have inserted an ass into some popular movies or songs in place of a rhyming word. And I've created a description of the new assified entity. And you have to guess what the ass titled thing is. For example, if I were to say... It's a movie about one butt and some angry people driving cars. You would say... The ass and the Furious. The Ass and the Furious. <laughs> yes. I promise okay. they'll all be better than that. I just wanted to continue using that franchise in my examples. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be clear, I'll be using rhymes. So synonyms for the word ass and words that they rhyme with will be interchanged. I will not be using other substitutions. So, for instance, you will not hear a clue like... The ass and the furious. <laughs> <laughs> like that. But you will not hear a clue like the Kim Carnes song that talks about a badonk that will tease you and will unease you all the better just to please you. What is that? Oh, it sounds familiar, but I'm not going to get it. Yeah. yeah. So that's the lyrics from Betty Davis Eyes, but you couldn't oh, say yeah. Betty Davis Eyes. Oh, uh, okay. So it's not just ass. It's going to be yes. lots of words. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. In fact... There'll be no repeats. Oh, I all, so those are eight different words for butt. Noah, there are so... <laughs> this could have been a 20-question quiz. Barely skimming the surface. So, are you That's guys... my move. Skimming the cheek. <laughs> so to say. Are you guys ready? Let's do it. All right. All right. All right, question number one. Ooh, baby, baby. Two 90s pop music stars want you to do the butt real good. Okay. Oh, baby, baby. So, Britney. Uh, not that one. Okay. So, so Britney, Britney Spears, Spears was the one I was guessing. And then there's a song that goes like, Ooh, baby, baby. baby. Ooh, baby, baby. Na, 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 na. Not that one? Not that one. Okay. No, I don't know. Okay. No, um, Emily's got the right one. No one oh, started okay. singing a different one. <laughs> okay. So, I don't know the song that I just sang the piece of. I just know, Ooh, baby, baby. That's all. That's yeah, all. I don't know that at all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Between uh, that and the fact that I said real good, there are actually no other lyrics that I can give you without giving you the answer. <laughs> can you read the question? Oh, push it real good. Do, 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 Yeah. So what's the... Okay. What's the song title? we're looking for the artist then? No, you're looking for the butt version of that song. The butt. what's the song called? Oh, Tush It. Tush It Real Good. And we're on our way. Okay. All right. Number two, this cult classic movie with an unsolicited sequel is about the misadventures of an ass and an even more ass. With an unsolicited sequel? Yeah. There's a terrible sequel that should never have been made, is my opinion. But you need not know that to know it's about the misadventures of these two, their travels across the country, 
I got it. It's bum and bummer. It's bum and bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Question number three. This song, which already has often misheard lyrics, discusses a seamstress at one point who probably has to make extra wide pants for this thick ballerina. (laughs) (laughs) Hold me closer, Heine Dancer. (laughs) (laughs) Is that it? That's it. Beautiful, yes. <laughs> God, you, I really do not think I'm going to know it until the very moment it pops into my head. And then, and then it just comes right out. Uh, okay. All right. Moving in a slightly different direction. This religious Christmas carol. <laughs> this religious Christmas carol describes shepherds marveling over a star Asking each other if they butt the same thing. Okay, wait. It so came I... upon a midnight rear. <laughs> oh, that's good. I have what? Is that bad? It's not, but that's pretty good. <laughs> oh, holy night. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Not, okay. a, not a Christmas store. Uh... So, <laughs> I was really Are you not sure ex- it's not there oh, holy night? There are a lot night. of Christmas songs that involve shepherds looking at the sky. But they ask, about it. they ask each other if they butt the same thing. Oh, little bummer boy. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh I love this. Uh, uh, so it's Do You See What I See? I think, it's, I think the title is slightly different. Um... I will have to check it though. Do you see what I see? Yep. I can't think of any of the words. I'm trying to think of the title. Bring us goodness and light. Do you hear what I? Do you rear what I rear? Yeah. Okay. That's what I was going for. Do you? Oh, you're right. You're right. It is. Do you hear what I hear? Okay. I still look at Kim and Pot and Midnight Rear. <laughs> <laughs> These are all way better. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the drawing board. <laughs> I know. I'm disappointed that I stopped where I did. <laughs> okay. Question number five. This fairy tale and fable is about a greedy farmer who wanted more than the allotted wealth that a big butt pooped out every day. Since a little bit of a stretch. Back in the giant beanstalk. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a farmer who gets an allotted amount of wealth that's pooped out of a big butt in this particular version. And he's greedy. And he says, there must be even more wealth in the big butt. (laughs) So I'm going to cut it open. Okay. All right. (laughs) Slow this down. Do you have any idea, Emily, what this story could be? Oh, uh, is it like the Golden Goose? Okay. Golden Caboose. (laughs) That's good. Yeah, it's, I was looking for Caboose and the Golden Egg, but. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. The Goose and the Golden Egg. But yeah, that's what it's actually called, I see. Okay. But definitely, points given. Very nicely done. That's cute. (laughs) All right, question number six. Christina Aguilera sings about the ideal tush that a typical lady desires. Like all the girls want something. Is that the right line? Is that some Christina Aguilera song? You're uh... you're scratching at it. <laughs> <laughs> at the desirable butt. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
The only song that I can, th- like, I can't think of any songs from her, but I assume it's not a line in the You Are Beautiful song. It's not. Unless it's You Are Beautiful, in which case, <laughs> booty A lot of her songs actually pun very well. I don't know how I <laughs> found myself in this realm, but. Just do a compilation. Um, it's also not Genie in a Bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that many of Christina Aguilera songs. No, I don't either. About a butt, too. Well, it's not about a butt. It's, it's uh, a pun. The, the meaning of the song changes with the pun. Yeah. So it didn't have oh, to be about a butt. What a girl wants. What oh. a girl needs. Whatever makes But a girl happy. wants. Yes. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. Butever makes you happy. <laughs> That's a girl phrase. <laughs> still singing, trying to find it. Like, it's in there somewhere. You got <laughs> it. You got it. Butt. That was it. <laughs> nice. All right. Question number seven. This prequel to a superhero series talks about the creation of the first mutant butt back during the Cold War. Days of Future asked. (laughs) I guess that works, too. (laughs) The first ass is what you were going for, right? Yeah, X-Men first ass. (laughs) What are some other X-Men movies? X-Men first ass. (laughs) All right. Your eighth... (laughs) Your eighth and final question. Jennifer Hudson and Beyonce perform this cinematic song about how they only have time for the evening of butts and you only have till dawn. Um, is this from Dreamgirls? This is from Dreamgirls. Okay. Can you like hum the tune? Yeah. No, I can't. I like... Like, you do it so we can actually hear it. <laughs> me, me humming with wine burps just, is not going to sound like Beyonce. <laughs> I just want to be clear about so that. <laughs> and so the real song is One Night Only. Okay, I vaguely remember that. So then Bun Night Only. Bun Night Only. <laughs> okay. Nice. Oh, all right. But not only. It's exactly no. okay. how it yeah, goes. Yeah, that was, that yeah, was it. Yeah. That's on point. You couldn't do that, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> if you go to the tapes, you'll see that I sort of tried. <laughs> All right. So that was my quiz. Nice job, guys. So let me wrap up by saying thanks for listening. Um, I hope you all enjoyed this asinine episode. Um, we hope that you can look for fun content on our website, faxmachinepodcast.com, and on our Instagram and Twitter at faxmachinepod, and on Facebook at faxmachinepodcast. And if you'd like to follow us, I'm at SweaterVestSCI, Noah, at Arcs and Sciences, and Emily, at underscore E.M. Costa. Fax Machine is produced by Rob Frawley, Noah Guyberson, Emily Costa, and A.C. Antonelli, with editing by Noah Guyberson. Sound engineering and theme music are by A.C. Antonelli, and our logo was designed by Mike Zola. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.